So after everything we've been through, here we are today. Collins is almost two years cancer free. She's doing great. She's in first grade. She loves her brother, her family, her church, her school. She's happy. Uh, she loves everything about life and she loves Jesus more than she loves anything. We have just seen God's grace and intercession and just mercy. And, you know, we just count every day as a blessing and we're just grateful for every moment with her. One of the things that helped us heal was a organization called Lighthouse. It uh, provides retreats for families who have kids that are battling pediatric cancer. And that's been one of our main focuses now is just loving on the parents and the families and the kids that are going through cancer. Uh, whenever a family is battling pediatric cancer, the, the parents tend to turn away from God. They just can't wrap their head around it and so many of them just run from Jesus and just blame him and just just hold every ounce of anger they can grab and, and they hold it towards God and I just want to take that anger away and I want to tell them that Jesus loves them and and I want to pray for them and I want to love on that those families and that's one of our main goals right now is just helping other families through pediatric cancer. I think for us, we, we have a unique opportunity to reach these people because we've walked in their shoes. We are going to be there for them in their time of need, to provide them with whatever they need to make them relax and peaceful, and uh, just show them that God cares for them and loves them and is there for them. And is there for them. doing today you good welcome time change Sunday spring break Sunday and you're here amen and praise God that's awesome I want you to get your Bible and open it up if you didn't bring one there's one in the seat rack in front of you open up your Bible to the book of Jonah uh, chapter 3 book of Jonah chapter 3 is where we're going to be uh, today I was reading an article this week called the 14 most misunderstood movies of all time and uh, they go through lots of these movies. Many of these are iconic movies like uh, the first Star Wars and Gone with the Wind and things like that. Uh, but they basically say that, you know, it's easy to fixate on a part of a movie, but really miss the whole point of it, right? Or the main message of the movie. For example, they, they took the movie Inception. They said, really, Inception isn't about dreams. Inception is really about reality and what, what's most important in life. Or uh, they said, Into the Wilderness is not really about a guy that's fighting for survival. It's about our, our innate need for community, right? And so you can miss that by just watching the film. Um, Wall Street, the movie Wall Street came out many years ago. You know, isn't just about, you know, these, the, the wild living of these wealthy people, but it's about uh, how greed corrodes uh, our life. And so uh, he said it's easy to get a part of the the film, a part of the story, but miss the whole underlying meaning of the story. Now, I think that is very true when it comes to the, the book of Jonah. 
that it's easy for us to get a part of the story. We grab a part of the story and we go, oh yeah, it's Jonah and the fish or Jonah and the whale or, or whatever and miss the whole point of the book or the story of Jonah. In fact, I think most believers completely miss the meaning of this book. Because in one part of the, I guess at a certain level of the book, the story is really about uh, running from God, right? Jonah was a man who ran from God. And so God gave Jonah a very clear directive to go to Nineveh. And Jonah went the other direction, right? And he went as far away as he possibly could. He went, he got, a, got on a boat, uh, headed to Spain and, and was running from God. And, and of course, God brought a storm. And, and remember we said last week, or a couple of weeks ago, that God didn't bring the storm to pay Jonah back. He brought the storm to, to turn Jonah back or to bring Jonah back. And so uh, they're, they're wrestling with that. And finally, they said, how do we make the storm stop? And Jonah said, throw me into the water and in the ocean. And so they throw him in. And then God provided the first aqua uber to pick Jonah up and uh, to transform him back. I mean, we said that was like Jonah hitting rock bottom and, and he was changed and he became this different person. He was like not hard-hearted anymore. He was surrendered and yielded and open and obedient to God, right? And, and so that's a part of the story. And, and so uh, that part of the story, Jonah, in that part of the story, Jonah is, is an everyman. Jonah is us. We are Jonah, that we run from God and we demand our own way and we, we don't do what God wants and we rebel against God and yet God will provide circumstances to bring us back to him. And so so that's a part of the story. But, but I'm going I'm to lay this out here to you. I don't think that that's the main message of the story. Even though that is what most of us think about and, and fixate on, I don't think that that is the fundamental underlying message. In fact, like I said before, most Christians completely miss the point of the story of Jonah. So I'm going to share with you what is the underlying message right now. Are you ready? The main message of Jonah is this, that you and I can surrender to the moral will of God. That means that we can say, God, I'm going I'm to live a moral life. I believe in you, God. I, I'm doing the best I can to be a great mom, a great dad. I read my Bible. I go to church. I go to church on, on, on spring forward or fall back or whatever. This is spring forward Sunday. I, I do all that. I, I show up. I'm doing all the right things. I'm embracing the moral will of God. Uh, we, can, we can surrender to the moral will of God and yet resist the global will of God. See, Jonah, Jonah was a good man. He was a good man. He was a prophet of God. He loved God with all of his heart. He was powerfully used by God uh, in, in Israel. He, he had a history, he had a legacy, and he did a lot of great things. He was not a bad guy, but, but he was embracing the moral will of God, but yet he resisted the global will of God. When God told him to go to another people's and to another place, he did not want to do that. And, and we can do the same thing. In fact, I think most Christians do that very thing. We embrace the moral will of God, but we resist the global purposes of God. Just to give you a main thought to chew on for the day, let me just give you this. The global purpose of God, the global plan of God, is that all people, and parenthetically all nations, 
would know and follow him. This is what God is about in the world. This is what is on God's heart. This is what is motivating him and driving him. The, the, the global plan of God is that all peoples and, and, and all nations would know and would follow him. And that passion of God that we read in Jonah is still burning hot and bright today. God hasn't changed his mind. God hasn't veered off course. This is his global plan. And if we're not careful, we can miss it. And Jonah is about to wake up to God's global plan in chapter 3. So let's look at it. Let's just dive right into uh, Jonah chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. This is the word of God. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Verse 6, and the word reached the king of Nineveh, who rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered his, himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through, through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out... Uh, uh, mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. This is really what was on God's heart at the beginning. This whole running from God and the ship and the storm and the, and the whale and all that kind of, that's all a detour to get you back to point A again, which was to go to Nineveh. That was what's on God's heart. That was what was on God's mind. That was what was driving uh, the Lord was to, I want to declare my name among these wicked, evil people. That's what I want to do. And by the way, this is the, if you could just pan the story back to the big picture, if you could look at the meta narrative, if you could look at the, para, uh, the uh, panoramic view of the Bible, this is the message of the Bible. That from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, that God is passionately about making his name known among all peoples and all nations. If you start in Genesis, you see God creating man to know him and to follow him. God created all people to know and to follow him. But sin came to the world and the hearts were corrupted and it became so pervasive and so wicked and so evil that every thought of every man was always on evil all the time that finally God uh, chose to destroy all things and yet preserve one man named Noah. And through an ark, God pres preserved one man. And through him, he restarted, rebooted uh, the human experiment. But even then, sin again crept into the hearts of men and rebellion began to grow. And so God finally chose one other man. He chose another man named Abraham. And he said, through this man, Abraham, I'm going to raise up a whole nation that will be devoted to me and that will be a light to all the other nations. 
In fact, this is what God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. He said, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Why? And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, God's already got his mind on all the peoples of the earth. I'm going to bless you, but through you, I'm going to bless all the people. So the purpose of Abraham becoming the nation of Israel was that Israel as a nation would be wholly devoted to God and would be a light to all the other nations. That was God's plan for redeeming the world and, and all the people of the planet. And so, uh, as Israel's history moves on, you see some people that get it. King David, one of the greatest kings in Israel, he understood God's global plan. If you look at, in uh, Psalm 67, verse 1, it says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make us, his face shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth. Your saving power, where? Among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. See, God, we know you're at work among the nations, and you're going to work through us, and we want to declare that you're worthy of praise. Same thing happens in, uh, in Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all peoples. You see, this is God's heart that through Israel would be a light to all the nations. And they would declare God's goodness and draw people to the one true living God. Fast forward even further, you get to, uh, to prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah made it super clear. God speaking through Isaiah to Israel said this, I will make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Can't get any clearer than that, right? You're a light so that my salvation can go to the nations. Now listen, as clear as that was, at some point, people forgot why they were there. Israel forgot why they existed. The light that Israel was to be to the nations went out. So Israel became withdrawn and ingrown. They isolated themselves. It became inward focus. They became very hostile to the outside world and very antagonistic to the outside world. And, and they no longer were a light to the nations. They lived unto themselves. And they missed out on why they existed. And really the book of Jonah is an indictment on Israel. Jonah represents Israel that that loves God and yet refuses to get on board with God's global plan. That, that, that's the whole, uh, one of the messages of Jonah. Jonah represents the Israeli people that, that no longer want to declare the glory of God among the nations and resist God in doing so. You see this when Jesus comes on the scene. You see this with the Pharisees. The, these were the religious leaders of the time in Israel. And they saw other nations, Gentiles, as they call them all kinds of dogs and people worth only God's judgment and very hostile and antagonistic. But when Christ came, he had to, he spent most of his time deconstructing and debunking that thought. It follow, in fact, his disciples, he constantly infused in them this message that all people matter to God and that all people need to be redeemed and all people are saved by grace through faith in Christ. 
In fact, that's why you see Jesus taking his disciples and exposing them to people that are outside Israel and, and saying that they matter to God. That's why we go to take them to Syrophoenicia and why we take them to Samaria and why we take them to the, uh, the Gentile uh, ten cities. Why did he do that? Because he was saying that the God of the Bible is not just the God of Israel. He's the God of the nations and that his glory and his desire and his passion is to be known among the nations. Israel was just to shine the light. And in fact, in fact, Jesus' last command to his followers is our first priority. And he said, go and make disciples, what? Of all nations. It was a, it was a global vision, a global commission. If you get into the New Testament, you see the Apostle Paul taking the Gospels to, to the cities of all nations, to Athens and Ephesus, and you see the church spreading out to all nations. You get to the book of Revelation, and what you find is uh, glimpses of heaven where people are gathered around the throne, worshiping Jesus from every tribe and every tongue and every language and every nationality, all glorifying God. You see, from Genesis to Revelation, the thread that runs all the way through is God's passionate global plan that his name be known among all peoples. That has always been on God's heart. And I think the book of Jonah is not only an indictment on the Jewish people at that time, but I believe it is also a warning to us that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are warned. I mean, Jonah is just like a neon sign, warning, warning, warning. What? Warning us from what? That we can, we can lose our light too. We can forget why we're here. We can turn inward and ingrown and thinking about only what we want and what we like. And, and, and we can lose the whole reason for why we exist to make God's name known among all the peoples of the earth. It's a warning to every one of us. We can isolate. We can become self-focused. It, our, your Christian experience can all be about what, what's the next worship experience or what's the next retreat or what's the next Bible study or what's the next conference to go to and not God's plan to, to deploy you to those who do not know him. And just like Jonah resisted the commission of God, we can actually resist the great commission that Jesus gave us. And I believe that's why many churches are withering and dying because they've said, I will not do that. I'm good right here, but I'm not going there. And God just takes his hand right off of them. God forbid that that would ever happen here. Listen, let me just, let me just kind of remind us again, okay? I'm coming to you now as your pastor who loves you, all right? Are you ready? Will you receive what I'm about to tell you? Yes or no? Okay, because uh, I love you. So I, I, here's my job to just remind, remind, remind. We, are, we do not exist unto ourselves. The church does not exist unto ourselves. We are, we are not a country club. We are not a, a, a social services program, right? We, we, are not, we are not therapy, right? That is not us. What we are are a people given a mission that we must be about. And, and what God wants from us is simply this, to be bold with the gospel, to make disciples, to launch churches, and to make his name great wherever we go. 
All right? That is what God has called us. That's what he expects from us as far as, and by the way, if you're not a Christian today, I'm really glad you're here because you need to hear what the church is supposed to be about. We have gotten off track in so many different ways, and we have messed this thing up uh, so many different ways. But I want you to hear the church of Jesus Christ is a people that have been redeemed by God that are living on mission. That is what God's called us to. But yet many times we've, we fall into excuses and we say, God, I'm good to just kind of uh, surrender to your moral will, but I will not be a part of your global purpose. And so the warning of the book of Jonah, the message of Jonah is not about fish and it's not about even running from God. It's about losing your, the global heart of God and a warning for us never to do that. Now, when I read this uh, story, there are a couple of things that just jump out. So let me just kind of give you a couple of the things. If you want to jot these down, uh, chapter three, here's a couple of thoughts that really jumped out at me. Number one is God can use anybody. God can use anyone. God can use anybody. Look at, look at uh, Jonah chapter three, verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Now, I want you to circle the two words, second time. What we find here is that God is a God of second chances. No, I take that back. He's a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and a thousand chances and 10,000 chances. Aren't you so glad for that? Somebody tell me in this room if you're glad for that, all right? Absolutely. Because we mess up and, and we fail and we resist God and we resist God. How many times have you sat in a seat and God was speaking to you clearly? You knew the Spirit of God was saying, you need to do this or you need to be on board with that. You need to give here. You need to go there. You need to minister. And, and you white knuckle the seat, right? I'm, you know, I'm just wrestling with God over that. Why? Why do we do that? And yet, even when we do, God gives us another chance and another chance, and he comes back again because he's a loving father that cares for you, and he wants to invite you into what he's doing, and he wants you to have his heart, and he gives you second and third chances. You may be thinking today, well, Craig, you know, you don't understand me, man. I'm kind of damaged goods. You know, I've, uh, I've been divorced, or I've got this past, you know, that's not that great, or I've, I've been to jail, or I've had this or that or the other, and I just, you know, God can never really use me, and you would be terribly wrong because God uses people just like that. Uh, I read this uh, poem this week that just kind of reminded me of that. It said this, uh, Noah got drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob lied, Joseph was abused, Moses stuttered, Gideon was afraid, Samson was a womanizer, Rahab was a prostitute, Timothy was too young, David was an adulterer, Elijah was suicidal, Isaiah preached naked, I wouldn't try that, all right? Uh, Jonah ran from God, Naomi was embittered, Job was bankrupt, John the Baptist ate bugs, uh, Peter denied Christ, the disciples fell asleep while praying, Martha worried about everything, Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed, the Samaritan woman was divorced more than once, Zacchaeus was too small, Paul was a murderer, Timothy had ulcers, and Lazarus was dead, yet God used every one of them. So what's your excuse? I mean, really, so what's your excuse? doesn't matter. You say, well, Craig, you know, I've never been to seminary and I'm not really a preacher. I'm not really a missionary. Listen, you don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a missionary. All you have to do is be willing and be open, listen, and be obedient to say, God, whatever you want. 
God, I'm not going to run from you. God, I see your heart for the nations. God, I'm not going to make excuses. I'm going to say maybe later, you know, that's not really my thing. That's not my gift. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to run from you. I'm not going to fight you on this, God. I'm just going to say, yes, whatever you want, God, just use me. All I ask is that you use me. If that's your heart, then he will. Because God can use anybody. And God can use you. Just like God used Jonah. Second thing that jumps out at me about this uh, story is that God can reach anyone. Not only can God use anybody, God can reach anyone. Look at verse 5. It says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. Underline those words, believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Here is Jonah. He goes into the city and it's this massive city. He goes in there and he preaches one short sermon. All right. I know you're probably thinking, Craig, I wish you would preach one short sermon. But anyway, he preached one short, just five words in the Hebrew. Repent. Or, or 40 days and Nineveh perishes. 40 days and Nineveh is overthrown. And it's like all of a sudden, it's, it's almost like what happened at Pentecost, right? They just heard this message and they were cut to the heart and, and they repented. I mean, not only do they repent, they're like, they're like putting on sackcloth and they're mourning. Sackcloth was kind of like this rough material like burlap that people would put on so it's not comfortable and it's a, it's a visual sign of repentance. Not only did the king do that, but he declared that every person wears sackcloth, every per, even the animals wear sackcloth. Now, I'm trying to get my mind around that. Is that kind of like those little doggy sweaters that people put on their animals? I don't know, here's a little sackcloth thing for you. I'm not really sure how that worked, but they're like the whole nation is now repenting and crying out to God and fasting. Nobody thought this was going to happen, folks. This was, this, was, this was the worst kind of people, the most evil people, most wicked idolatrous, awful, evil people. I could go on and on about what the history tells us they were like. This was the last person you would ever think to ever come around. And, and what it just reminds me is that God can reach anybody. God can reach the most pagan person on your campus, the most reviling guy in your office, the most hardened criminal, the most wayward soul. No, you think, Mama, God can never reach that person. God can reach anybody. And, and that's exactly what happened in this story, that God was at work reaching people. You know, there, there, there are groups of people, classifications of people that missiologists talk about quite a bit. Missiologists, people that study missions and study the gospel going to the nations, and they, they, they identify two groups of people. The first group of people, what they call unengaged and unreached peoples. Unengaged and unreached peoples are uh, people that uh, have no evangelical Christian witness and there's no church planting strategy. So these are people, there's no Christians there, evangelical Christians, and there's no church planting strategy. So they're unreached and they're unengaged. We're not even engaging these people yet. The second classification, which is a little bit larger uh, set uh, within, uh, the unreached unengaged would be a subset of this larger group, which is called unreached peoples. The unreached people means that they're less than 2% of the population are evangelical Christians and there is some church planting strategy afoot to reach them. Unreached and unengaged, and then simply unreached. When you look at these two groups of people, 
Uh, now, I'm going to give you data that is very current. This is actually coming from the International Mission Board, which has the most fresh data of any other missiological organization. This information comes from January of this year. So this is as fresh a data as we can possibly glean right now. This is what we learn, that there are currently 377 unengaged and unreached people groups on earth right now that encompass 9.2 million people. They're not even hearing the gospel once. They don't even have access to hear the gospel. 9.2 million. There are 6,707 unreached people groups encompassing 4.4 billion people that are unreached. That is those that have less than 2% evangelical witness. What that means for us is that more than half the global population is unreached. Now, I don't know what that does for you, but that ought to stir something in you that we're sitting here with our 10 different versions of the Bible and all the things that we have when half the world has never even heard Christ Never even heard the name of Jesus. Never even had an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And that's why Jesus said it is up to my church to carry that light to those who have not heard. Listen, God can reach anybody. But it takes us being willing to be that light and to carry that light. And so, listen, that, that is why uh, over the next five years, I'm just giving you a little taste. I'm going to come back and tell you a lot more. I'm just really just trying to pique your interest a little bit so you can say, what did he just say? I, I want you to think that. Uh, in the next five years, we're about to launch into the most aggressive church planting strategy in the history of this church. What we're about to walk into has never been done in the history of this church. But we're about to launch into an aggressive church planting strategy that will allow us to take the gospel to the nations. That's why you're already starting to hear about opportunities to go to Montreal. Why are we going to Montreal? Because we're working with a church plant there. And Montreal, the, the Quebecois that, that live in Quebec, uh, they are, get this, the largest unreached people group in North America. Less than 2% know Christ. And so why are we going there? We're not just going there for a vacation. We're going there to be obedient to the global plan of God, to say yes to the global plan of God and not just be content to ourselves. That's why we're going to be hearing about Lusaka and how we've been in Lusaka for a while, discipling, and we're seeing thousands of, of people being discipled in Lusaka. But now we're going to come back and we're going to start planting churches in Lusaka. And you're going to have an opportunity to get on a plane, punch a ticket, and go and be a part hands-on with what God is doing among these people. Why are we doing this? Because we don't want to be like Jonah. It says, God, well, I'm really content here in, in Colleyville, very content in my North Richmond Hills, Keller, South Lake world, and I kind of live to myself and ignore the crying need of the nations. We cannot, 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 cannot do that. We must be obedient to the global call of God, the global purposes of God. Why? Because God can reach anybody, but he, but he calls us to go. Listen, God can use anyone. God can reach anybody. Here, here's one more thing I love out of this. This is the hopeful part of this uh, story, and that is that God can do anything. God can do anything. I mean, just think about what happened. Jonah shows up. He's even got a bad attitude, and he shows up, right? 
You may be on the plane to Montreal and you're going to have a bad idea. I can't believe I'm even going to this trip. Why am I even going here? All right, that's okay. You just go. Just go. God will, God will even use you with a bad attitude. Amen? And, and so here Jonah shows up and he does his thing and they listen. And then and what happens, it, what, what ensues is the most radical, sweeping revival ever recorded in the Bible outside of Israel. I mean, the people are hearing, people are repenting, people are crying out to God, the judgment of God is held back, the kingdom is advanced, all because one guy was willing to go. Listen, just think what God could do through you if you were just willing to go. Just willing to say yes. Talked with a person after the first service, and she came up to me. She said, "Well, I'm going. I'm going to Montreal." And I said, "Oh, that's awesome." She goes, "I've never gone on a mission trip ever in my whole life." I said, "It's going to be okay." She goes, "I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know why this is so. I'm so nervous about this." I said, "You know what? You just go, and God will go before you. You just show up, and God will show off. You just say, Lord, here's my little, here's my little self." Then I'm putting out there, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know the language. I, there's so much I can do. You just show up and, and it will blow your mind what God will do through you. And you will never be the same. For some of you, you're stuck spiritually and you're never going to move forward until you get obedient to the global purpose of God. This is the one area that has frozen your spiritual growth. It has stunted your spiritual growth because you're not getting on board with what's on God's heart. Probably the greatest example of going as a result of God's global mission is not Jonah, it's Jesus, who left the glory of heaven and came to us, this wicked people. Not only did he come to us, but not only did he declare the glory of God, not only did he reveal the glory of God, not only was he a light to us, but he took on our sin and he took it all the way to the cross. And on the cross, he bore our sin and he paid for it in full with his own blood, offering himself in our place as our sacrifice. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again from the dead and he offers anyone, no matter where you're from, no matter your background, your nationality, your language, he offers all people of all nations grace and mercy and forgiveness. This is why we go, because he came to us, and he sends us to go.